take the word of God with me and we'll go in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1. I don't know about you, but I do not enjoy driving in downtown Vancouver. Anyone else agree? Uh, it's too crowded. It's, it's way too busy. I don't like how many pedestrians there are and they think they, they own the road, which in a lot of ways they do. Uh, but I think the worst part about downtown city driving is this right here, uh, one-way streets. Uh, they, they freak you out. Uh, you turn left and you go right into that far left lane and it, it just feels like something's wrong. Uh, if you turn the wrong direction on one, then you're confronted with the opposite sign of this uh, and you never want to see that. Uh, you want to be heading in the opposite direction, right? Uh, but in God's word, and thank you, Brother Edward, uh, in God's word, God has said very plainly that there is only one way to heaven. He's made it abundantly clear that there is only one way to live a life pleasing to Him. He's made it very clear that there is only one way to be a truly good person. The only way to go to heaven, to live a life pleasing to God, to be a truly good person, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 6, we're familiar with it, but Christ said, I am the way. You could restate that. He's saying, I am the one way. The truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Then Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 15, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, there's a different analogy there. Christ is saying there's two ways. There's the, the narrow, the straight way of Christ, and then there's the broad way that leads to destruction, but it's the same truth. There's only one way to please God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And often we think of that verse only in context of of lost people receiving salvation and getting saved, but that applies to the life of every Christian. Salvation is not just about not going to hell and being saved from the ultimate consequence of our sin. Our salvation is a salvation that we are to experience now. Salvation from the power of sin in our daily lives, a salvation that gives us daily victory. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled. Now that we're reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ, we shall be saved by His life. Every day of your life as a Christian, God is intent on saving you from your flesh, on saving you from your sinful habits of saving you from Satan and his influence, of saving you from yourself. 
And there's no other way of salvation but by the Lord Jesus. And if you're taking notes tonight, if you could please write down this statement that we are going to see how it plays out here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. A Christian only has two choices each day. Christ or sin. There's only two choices. Christ or sin. There's only one way every day to please God, and that is through Christ. And every other direction that you and I could go apart from Christ will end in sin and will not be pleasing to God. Every day, we only have two choices, Christ or sin. Christian, I, I, I urge you to let this sink in. There is no third option. There is no smorgasbord. There is no several tiers of Christianity. There's one way, and it's Christ or there's sin. We have got to understand that as human beings, our default setting is sin. You, you read the whole Bible, and you'll find it from cover to cover, that humanity left to themselves, we always end up in sin. It's our default setting. And so if you and I are not daily, consciously, on purpose, diligently choosing Christ, then by default, we are choosing sin. And the sad reality is that so many Christians have bought the devil's lie. They have bought the lie that, oh, I, I may not be all that serious. I, I may not be completely committed to the Lord Jesus, but I love God. You know, I, I try. You know, I... I go to church. I read my Bible here and there. You know, I'm, I'm doing my best. Oh, I may not be the, the most faithful or I might not be the most fruitful, but I'm trying. And we bought the lie that there can be this, this mediocre third option. But you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. Christ says, I am the way, the only way that you can live a life pleasing to God. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And here in our text, we're going to see how this plays out in our lives. So let's read together. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll read verses 6 through 15 responsively. I'll read verse 6. If you can read verse 7. All the way through verse 15. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, Timothy, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God.
but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that as you look down upon us from heaven, you so want us, your people, to live on the one way that you have made through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you're far more loving than the city workers that hang these signs that tell us which way to go. You, you've given us this book to tell us how to live every day of our lives. And Lord, you're so kind to us that you warn us when we're going the wrong way. And Lord, I pray that you work in each of our hearts that if we're not living this, this one way with Christ, that you would get our attention and we turn around and we once and for all surrender our hearts to the Lord Jesus and live on his way. Lord, we pray that in these next few moments, your Holy Spirit would have the liberty to work through this vessel of yours, that you would give me uh, the wisdom and the clarity to speak on your behalf. And we pray that you give us ears to hear what you have for us. Lord, please give us understanding of these truths, work in our hearts, turn our will to make the decisions that need to be made. Lord God, we do pray that we would leave here different than how we've come. Please help us in this hour. Please speak to us. Without you, we could do nothing. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to give you a brief overview of the passage we just read, um, and then we'll get into some particulars. In verse 9, we talked about this last week, the Apostle Paul really summarizes the calling on every believer's life. Remember, he was called to be an apostle. Timothy wasn't an apostle, but he had much the same calling as Paul. And that was in verse 9, who's called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And you remember from last week that, that we as believers have been called to be saints, to be holy ones, to be people that reflect the image of Christ. And that phrase, called to be saints, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, that Paul is writing to a group of messed up believers. But for all their faults, all their failures, they had been called to be saints. And that is what God expected of their lives. And he hadn't given up on them. So we are called to be saints. This is our calling, our purpose. And I want you to notice from verse 9, this was the calling that God had given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So, 
So before time was, God's plan for you and God's plan for me was that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. From before time began, that has always been God's plan for you. Now, how ridiculous, how presumptuous, how foolish, and how arrogant of us to resist God's eternal purpose for our lives. He's had this plan since before the world began. And when we resist Him, when we push away, when we say no to Christ, we're saying no to the eternal and perfect and all-wise purpose of Almighty God. This has been God's purpose for us since before the world was. But you notice in verse 10 that this purpose was not made manifest. It was not made clear. It couldn't be seen by all of humanity until the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he came on the scene, he made clear for the rest of time what God's purpose was for humanity. And look what he did. It says that he abolished death. That word abolished. We read over these passages, we skim over them, and we miss the power of these words. Abolished means he made an end to it. Now, you've got to think that for centuries, all the way since Adam and Eve took the first bite of fruit, century after century, generation after generation, family after family, died over and over again. Death reigned, the Bible says. And it wasn't until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ that death was finally abolished. It was destroyed completely. And we've got to remember what death means in the Bible. It means separation. And ultimately, more than anything, separation from the God who loves us. That is what the Lord Jesus abolished and put an end to that awful death and separation to God. Notice what else Christ did for us. He brought life and immortality to light. Prior to Christ, no one had a certain hope of the resurrection. You, you read Job, you read some of the Old Testament texts, there's not this certainty in even the people of God's heart about what happens after they die. Definitely they had faith uh, in, a, in a God that had the afterlife. You, you read about David uh, knowing that, that he would go unto his child who had died. So you see flickers of hope but there's no certainty. But the Lord Jesus, having risen from the dead and promised eternal life to those who believe on him, he brought life and immortality to light. And we as humanity could finally see that there's a certain hope that death doesn't have dominion, doesn't have to have dominion over us because Christ has abolished it. And it is this gospel. Notice, it says that this life and immortality has been brought to light through the gospel, whereunto I, Paul speaking, am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. You know what that word appoint means? It means to set in a certain place. It makes me think of a chessboard where the chess player sets certain pieces on strategic places on the board in order to win. Well, God is the author of eternity 
and we are like the chess uh, pieces on his board, and he is moving us as he wills to perform his will, and he has set us. That same Greek word you find in 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, and God hath set. He's placed some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, and the list goes on and on. So every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has been set and put in this church for a particular purpose. And it's all to work together to bring to light this gospel. And that is why the Apostle Paul is writing so urgently to Timothy because he's saying Christ came to bring eternal life to light. But if you are not faithful with the message, then this light that has been brought to humanity could be extinguished. If you're not faithful with the light God has given you, Timothy, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? We have a calling, an appointment. God has set us to shine with the light of Christ. And every day, we choose to let it shine or to hide it under a bushel. We make that choice. We either choose the one way of letting Christ live through us and letting his light shine to a world that desperately needs it, or by default, we choose to hide the light under a bushel. In this passage, we see at least six different decisions that we make on a regular basis that determine whether we're living on the one way with Christ, letting our light shine, or whether we're going the wrong way, hiding our light under a bushel. Number one, we see in this passage that every day, you and I, and some of this will be review, but every day, you and I are either stirring up the gift of God within us, or we're neglecting it. Every day. Every single one of us is making a choice of the will to stir up the gift of God or to neglect it. And you may not feel like you're, you're, you're making a definite decision, but if you're not consciously and on purpose choosing to stir up the gift of God, by default, you are choosing to neglect it, to go the wrong way, to hide your light under a bushel. Remember 1 Timothy 4 verse 14. God commands Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in thee. That word neglect means not to think about it, not to care about it. 1 Peter 4.10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Christian, every day of our lives, are we purposely stirring up the gift of God in order to minister to fellow believers and to reach others with the gospel? Or are we neglecting it? Are we letting it fall by the wayside? God has gifted everyone in this church to fulfill a particular purpose. Are we stirring up that gift or neglecting it? Number two, decisions we make every day. We're either yielding to the spirit of fear or to the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Every day. You and I are making the choice to yield to the spirit of fear or to the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Look in verse 7. 
God hath not given us the spirit of fear. You know what that means? When you and I are influenced by fear, that's not God. Now, I'm not talking about the healthy fear that you use the crosswalk instead of jaywalking because you don't want to get hit by a car. It's a healthy fear that God has given us. But when you and I make spiritual decisions based on fear, we are consciously and willfully choosing to disobey God. When fear governs the decisions we make, it's not God at the wheel. Because he has not given us the spirit of fear. Over 100 times the Bible says, fear not. You think God is pretty adamant that his children not live in fear? That he's put it in the Bible over 100 times? Fear not. Christian, we've got to take seriously 1 John 4 verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Just because it sounds true, just because it sounds legitimate, just because everyone else is believing it, if it's not the Spirit of God, you've got to reject it. If it's a spirit of fear or if it's a spirit of confusion, the Bible is very clear. God is not the author of confusion. So if you are living in perpetual confusion, that's not God. Romans 14.23, this would be a good verse to write down and to really meditate upon. The Apostle Paul is writing about the, the matter of eating meats and, and dealing with the matter of your conscience. And he says, he that doubteth, so he that doubteth, if there's doubt in his mind about whether or not this is pleasing to God, he that doubteth is damned if he eat. He's condemned in his own heart because he eateth not of faith. He can't say with certainty and belief in his heart that what I'm doing is, is, is pleasing God. He's not certain about it. He's not doing it of faith. And, and notice what this verse says. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Christian, how many decisions do we make on a daily basis that are not of faith? That are not rooted in a belief in God and his word, but are instead rooted in fear. Rooted in a, 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 a spirit that is not of God. How we spend our time. How faithful we are to witness. Where we put our money. Are these decisions governed by fear or by the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind? Every day we're making the choice. Number three, every day we are choosing. To be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or to be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Every day we're making that choice. I want you to see in this passage, the Apostle Paul is not giving, and God in his word to us today, is not giving us a list of different options. You're a shy person. You don't really like talking to people. You don't like making waves. Okay, you can share the gospel in a way that, that's never confrontational. Just, just stick flyers in mailboxes or, or write a nice card, but you never really have to confront someone about their need for salvation. 
if, if your personality is in this category. That's not how it works. When, when you read these epistles, you, you get the feeling that Timothy could have been timid by nature. We don't know that for certain. I think anyone in his shoes, even if they weren't timid by nature, would have been struggling with fear at the Apostle Paul about to be executed. He's having to pastor the Ephesian church. So we can't say for certain, but it's very possible that Timothy was a timid person. But God did not give Timothy any slack because of his personality or because his situation was particularly difficult. He looked him square in the eye and said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And I wonder how many times we've read through Luke chapter 9 and glossed over this statement and not really taken it to heart. Luke 9.26 says, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, this is Christ speaking, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. When he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. I shudder to think of how many times I didn't give someone a track because I was ashamed. Because I was too worried about what they think. But I'm going to stand before Christ one day and I'd rather this be, a, be experience shame in this life, but hear him say, well done. And have all the applause of humanity and my Savior be ashamed of me when I see him. Every day we're making the choice. And this one way, it doesn't change because we live in Canada or it's a 21st century. If you are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all that is in you, there are going to be afflictions. You are going to rub people the wrong way. You are going to have confrontation. And it doesn't matter that we're Canadian. And it doesn't matter that our society is so keen on being polite and, and not offending people. God gives us the same command today to be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel. And there is no middle ground. There is no third option. Every day in our neighborhoods, with our coworkers, with our family, with our friends, we are making a choice of the will to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel or to be ashamed of our Lord. Number four tonight in this passage. Every day we make a decision between our works or God's purpose and grace. And they don't mix. They don't blend. They don't share any commonality. Look at verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Now, in the context of this passage, what he's saying is, we have been called to be saints. We have been called into this relationship with God. We have been made as representatives, not because we did anything to deserve it, not because we're worthy of, of such a privilege, but according to his purpose and grace. That is why we get to do this. But, but I also want you to see this contrast that every day we choose between our works, what we can accomplish, what we can do, what we want to do, what our flesh can perform, and God's purpose and grace. And they don't mix. Your fleshly will 
and my fleshly will will never be in agreement with God. Our flesh will never be at the place where it can please God. Christ was very clear. He said that the flesh profiteth nothing. The spirit quickeneth. The spirit is what enables us to do God's will. And so I wonder in our daily living, are we making our decision based on, well, this is what I want to do. This is how I think I can impress God. Or these are the couple things I can do uh, to get God off my back and, and please him for a while. Or, or are we depending wholly on him to do his work by his grace? Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, the Lord Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You know, our works are exhausting. Whether you're trying to please God in the flesh or, or whether you're pursuing your own will and, and rejecting the clear will of God for your life, that's exhausting. Because no matter how hard you work and how hard you labor, whether to please yourself or to please God in the flesh, you'll never do it. And that's why Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Christian, God is coming to you tonight in a heart of love, saying, I'm tired of seeing you exhausted. I'm tired of seeing you so, so, so straining at efforts, either to please me in your flesh or to go your own way. I want you to find rest in my purpose and in my grace. You see, when you're living in the purpose of God, you can face anything because you're empowered by God's grace. That's what he says here. Be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Christian, every day of your life, are you, are you choosing your own works, your own way, how you think it should be? Or are you surrendered to the purpose of God and depending on His grace? Fifthly tonight, and we're almost to the close, every day we choose between death or life. Every day. With the moment-by-moment -moment decisions we make, we choose between death and life. James 1 verse 15 is very clear. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And we've seen very clearly from this passage that Jesus Christ has abolished death. If you cannot honestly say, I am close to my heavenly father and enjoying my relationship with him, you've chosen death. You have chosen separation from the God who loves you because Christ abolished death. He abolished the distance between you and our God. And every day of our lives, we get to enjoy eternal life. This is life eternal, the Lord Jesus said, that they might know thee, the only true God. And if you cannot honestly say that I am enjoying my relationship with my heavenly Father, you're choosing death. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, Moses is pleading with this generation about to enter the promised land. And he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. 
Therefore, choose life. And Christian, God is coming to you tonight and he is pleading with you, choose life. Those sins that you don't think are a big deal, those friendships that you think you can get away with, that garbage that you're looking at online, that idolatry, wasting time on on fleeting things of no value that you could be spending with God, you're choosing death. It doesn't have to be that way. There's no one in this room that cannot enjoy abundant life because Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Christian, is your life abundant? Is it truly abundant? If it's not, you're making the choice because it's right there for the taking. Finally, number six, every day we make the choice to hold fast what we have been taught or to let it go. To hold fast these truths that we have been given, the truths of the gospel that liberate us to enjoy God, we can hold fast to them or we let them go. That's what Paul says here. Hold fast, verse 13, the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. I wonder how many sermons we've heard, like Pastor preached this morning, about about not being ashamed, about about not quitting when it's hard, but about having concern for people around us. And we hear these messages on evangelism, and I've been guilty myself too, and we go our way and we don't hold fast that truth. We don't get a stack of tracks and, and get it in our pocket. We don't talk to that neighbor the next day or that coworker the next day. We let go the truths that God gives us. And every day we make the choice to either hold fast or to let it go. In conclusion, I'd like you to see verse 12. This is the key, Christian. This is what determines whether or not you and I are motivated to stir up the gift of God. Whether or not we want to yield to the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Whether or not it's worth it to us to be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel or whether or not we we really believe that God's purpose and grace is better than our own works, or whether or not we really believe that, that God is offering us life, it's right here in verse 12. The Apostle Paul says in the middle of the verse, I suffer these things, I'm in prison, nevertheless I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Christian, if you're not stirring up the gift of God, if you're yielding to the spirit of fear, if you're ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, if you're caught in your own works instead of his purpose and grace, if you're choosing death, this is the problem. You don't know the Lord Jesus. Because when you know him, when he's real to you, 
when you've really in your heart of hearts been touched by his love, how could you be ashamed of him? How could you neglect the gift that he has given you to be his body on this earth? How could you choose that sin for which he died? When you know Christ, these decisions are a no-brainer. So Christian, let me ask you, do you know him? But then next, do you believe him? Paul said, I know whom I have believed. You know why so many of us aren't getting to know God? Because we don't have simple enough faith to believe him. And we question what he says. We entertain doubtful thoughts. We listen to the devil. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It is impossible to please God without faith. Faith is all over this passage. Four times in this passage, he talks about faith and, and believing God and being faithful. Why? Because that's the key. If you don't believe God, you, you can't know him. So let me ask you, do you know Christ? Is he real to you? Do you believe him? Do you just take him at his word? And then number three, are you persuaded through experience that what he says is true? The Apostle Paul had been down the road long enough that he knew when God tells me something and I believe it and obey it, he always comes through. And so it doesn't matter that my head's on the chopping block and that I'm going to be executed any day. I am persuaded. That word means I am totally convinced. And when you begin to get to know the Lord Jesus and you just take what he says by faith and believe him and obey him, over time, when you see God answer your prayers, and when you see God blessing you for your obedience, and when you see Him doing miracles in your life, you can say with Paul, I am persuaded that no matter what afflictions I experience on this earth, no matter what I have to give up down here, no matter how much shame or reproach I might bear for Christ's name, it will be worth it all. Because Paul says, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That day is the day when the Lord Jesus returns and we see him in glory. And I sure hope that we will be a church full of people that have made the right choice. Who have chosen the one way, Christ. And let him live through us. Because only through Christ, can we live a life pleasing to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that life is a lot more simple than we act like it is. We thank you for what the Apostle Paul speaks about in your word, the simplicity of Christ. And Lord God, I pray that you would use your word to dispel the lies that enter into the minds and hearts of your people. And Lord God, I pray that you would begin to give us a clarity about life, that we would begin to see our daily decisions, not as, as having so many options and, and being confusing, but to see it simply as your word sets it forth before us, that in every moment we have a choice between Christ or sin, between life and death. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to live so dependent on Christ's grace so surrendered to his purpose. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you'd work in all of our lives, that we would choose to live on this one way, 
with Christ. Lord God, even now we, we understand that the enemy hates the truth. He doesn't want your people to experience abundant life. So even now, he could be planting all kinds of lies in people's minds. But we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So Lord, however you have spoken to your people tonight, whatever decisions they need to make, Lord God, I pray that that spirit that dwells in them, that spirit of power and love and of a sound mind would give them the courage, would give them the strength, would give them the grace to believe and obey you. Oh Lord, please work in this brief time of invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays, if God has spoken to your heart, would you respond?